So we're at 2 Peter chapter 2, and we're reading from the, the verse 4. Take your time as we go down these verses and listen to what God says to you tonight. Verse 4, 2 Peter chapter 2. If God spared not the angels that sinned, boys, that's an awful phrase. Angels that sinned. And there's worse to come in the verse. God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness gets worse to be reserved unto judgment and spared not the old world but saved Noah the eighth person a preacher of righteousness bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes Condemned them with an overthrow, making them an example or an example unto those that after should live ungodly. And delivered just not, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked. For that righteous man, and I want you to know, note these truths that the Holy Spirit has penned about Lot. Delivered just Lot. Vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked, for that righteous man dwelling among them in seeing and hearing vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly. That's another. That's referring still to Lot, you know. Just, righteous, godly. The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished, but chiefly them that walk after the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise government. Presumptuous are they, self-willed. They are not afraid to speak evil of dignities. We know that God will bless to us the public reading of this solemn word to our hearts tonight. My wife Pat and I we're walking one Sunday morning down to the Armagh Baptist Tabernacle on the Mall. We lived off the Newry Road there. And we were walking down one wet Sunday morning, crossing Barrick Street. And there was a man there, and uh, he was a tramp. And he was dressed and black beard and filthy looking and he was gathering cigarette butts off the street and Pat said isn't that terrible to see that man on a Sunday morning and I can remember the words I said to her I said take a good look at that man he was once a sergeant on the police he was a big, tall, handsome, black-haired man. But he fell from grace. And went down and down and down. And in order to deter others and to safeguard the good name of the force, the judgment that was passed upon him was severe and heavy, resulting in his dismissal. His family 
left him. And here he was on a Sunday morning. And what the courts did in situations like that in those days, they set an example. They set an example that others would think twice before they would follow. And we have read these scriptures here and that's exactly what God is doing here. We read that he's setting an example to others who might follow in the footsteps of these people. That's what he did last week with the false prophets. He said, beware, beware of these preachers, for they're going to be damned. And that's what he's saying here about these fallen angels. He says they'll be cast down and chained in darkness, waiting for judgment. And that's what he says about the flood. And that's what he says about the fire in verse 6 of Sodom and Gomorrah. He's making them all examples. That's what he says here. They're examples unto others that they may take heed, that they would not follow. It says twice, God spared not. Now that word spared not means had no mercy. God had no mercy on them. That's an awful thing to think. And in case you would think that God was wicked and cruel and merciless, that he damned these false preachers like that, and that he would cast the angels into a pit of darkness and then into the lake of fire. Or that he would wipe out every man, woman and child from the world with a flood. Or that he would destroy Sodom and Gomorrah and bring it to ashes. That word ashes is lava. And if ever you see any of these infernos in them, these infernos, and you see the mountains all blowing up, that's lava that's coming out and that's what hell's going to be like and I hope you'll not be in it. And in case you would think that this was very serious and hard judgmental of God that he had no mercy this is this very same word that's used in Romans 8 where Paul says he spared not his only son but delivered him up for us all. He spared not his only son. Why did he spare not his only son on the cross of Calvary? Because of sin. Because of sin. And all these things here are because of sin. The angel fell. The sin in Noah's day, the sin in Lot's day, and the people sinned in Jesus' day, and he has no No, he is a zero tolerance for sin. Now get that into your head. This was all because of sin. God hates sin. And in every one of these things, sin is judged. Judged. Now you're not saved tonight. You're still in your sin. And you'll be judged. After this, the judgment. God hates sin. No matter where it comes from, he will judge it. Sometimes swiftly. Sometimes slowly. Sometimes silently. But all times surely. Be sure your sin will find you out. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 11, these things he showed unto us for an example. For an example. And an admonition until the end of the age. And then after that it says, let him that thinketh he stand take heed lest he fall. 
Take heed lest he fall. We're dealing with fallen people here this morning, this evening. Take heed, beware. Now here we have four of God's red flags. You hear sometimes the the red flag in, in the medical terms, the red flag in me. Well, there's four red flags here God, God is, is hoisting up tonight, or I'm hoisting up in the name of Jesus Christ and God tonight, I'm hoisting up four red flags of example. And we would better take example of these four things. It says in verse 4, if he cast angels, now these, these are the highest celestial beings, they excel in strength and knowledge. If he cast the angels into a black pit and chained them until the day of judgment, do you think that he will spare the rest of us? Come on now. Do you think if he did this without the, with the sinless angels? And that has always been the way. Whether it's the mighty king Uzziah, who done more for Israel than as much as, apart from Solomon, the mighty king of, Uzziah, of Uzzah, who went into the uh, sacred place and started to tinker with the things of God, and he struck him with leprosy. And whether it's David, the man after God's own heart, or Moses, who struck with the rod, or Miriam, who scandalized Moses, or Aaron, who danced around the calf, or Peter himself, judgment. Every one of them. Because we are dealing with a holy God, a righteous God. Let me say a wee word about angels. Over 400 times they're mentioned in the scripture. We very seldom ever hear them spoke about. The Greek word for angel is angelos. Angelos. That name means messenger. If you listen to the RTE news at 6 o'clock, They'll say, we're going to pause for the angels, and then there comes a message. That's just what it means. And the angels are messengers, as was the angel who brought the message to Zacharias regarding John the Baptist. It was an angel that brought the message to Mary regarding Jesus, and to Joseph regarding the future, and to the shepherds regarding Jesus, and to Mary at the tomb, Mary Magdalene at the tomb. There were messengers. When Jacob sat on the stone at Luz there, the angels de- ascended and descended. Messengers. But they're not only messengers, they're ministers. Remember they ministered unto the Lord Jesus Christ at the mountain of temptation. They ministered unto him at Gethsemane. They ministered unto Elijah under the juniper tree. They were ministered unto Daniel in the den of lions. There were messengers, there were ministers, and there were minders. Guardian angels. And guardian angels look after the people of God today. You don't know that. There's the word of God in Hebrews tells us that, we're, that, that they look after all the saints, the heirs of salvation, especially the children. You know, God has his childminders. Don't you tell me that a mother with four or five children and a busy housewife and a busy day and her children's out playing that you can look after them. But the, Matthew 18 tells us that, that, there's a, that, that the children have angels that stand before God every day for the children. Matthew 18. Jesus loves the children. He took them in his arm. And he says, whosoever offendeth these little ones, it'd be better for him that a millstone was put round his neck and he was cast into the depth of the sea. I fear for these abortionists. I tell you, the judgment of God is on them. 
Well, Peter's talking here about angels that have fallen from grace. And Jude tells us the same thing. I'm just teaching you a wee bit now tonight. And Jude tells us the same thing. He says they left their first estate. They left their habitat. What was their first estate? It was in the heavenlies. Billions and billions. They reckon that there's billions and billions of angels and seraphims and cherubims in the heavens. Created by God as messengers, as ministers, as minders, and serve him day and night. They stood in the presence of God. They were sinless and in a sinless environment. And they had a leader. And you heard about him this morning, and his name was Lucifer, the son of the morning. He was the wisest and the most beautiful of all God's creation. He was the anointed cherub who is next to the Trinity itself. And we know from different scriptures that he got intoxicated with power and with beauty and with pride because he said, I will ascend and exalt myself to the throne above heaven on the sides of the north. And remember Mark where he said the sides of the north and that's Israel and that's where the most hellish things are going on in the Middle East. That's, I believe, where his seat is. Satan has a seat, you know. And boys talk about Satan's after me. They're not a bit of him after you. Yeah, he has demons. You're going to see in a minute. He has thousands and thousands and thousands, maybe millions of demons. Millions of them, maybe. And this fellow got intoxicated and he was cast, he, he, he was cast out of heaven and he took with him one third of the angelic host. They rose up, he rose up, and they rose up after them. And it says God cast them out. Jesus says, I saw them. He says, I saw them like lightning. The lightning, the flash. I've seen them coming down. Jesus said that. Well, I tell you, this, this, this night we're, we're, we're in devil's territory tonight. And we're in it this morning too. God cast them out. Because these angels just pride and haughtiness and, and rose up after Lucifer who wanted to take over from God. The devil's, devil always wants power. He wants the throne. He's always after the throne. Now there's the throne. Order the throne of your heart. He's after it. He's not satisfied with second best. The whole world lieth in the lap of the wicked one. Everyone, how many he let loose, we don't know. How many he bound, we don't know. But we know that there was angels, the fallen angels, that he bound so many of them, and they're waiting in judgment, we read, and we read it in other places, they're there until the judgment day when they'll be judged, and when the prince of the demons, the devil himself, will, along with them, be cast into the lake of fire. That's what the word teaches. They're in blackness tonight and darkness tonight and Tartarus. They're down in the dark pits and they're chained. And I tell you, it's a good job they are because there's enough loose without them. There's enough loose without them. There's demons of suicide. There's demons of pornography. There's demons of murder. There's demons of lust. There's demons of all sorts. Some of you encountered them during the week. Let me say also, you encountered some of the heavenly host too. And I believe that God always has the preeminence, so I believe that there's more angels alive and there are more angels working and there are more angels in heaven than there is in hell. God, he always has the preeminence in everything. Would you tell me that there's more, that there's more demonic powers than there is angelic powers? No, they didn't all fall. They didn't all cast out. God has his angels and he has them. Maybe, maybe when you were twitching and twiddling at that old phone and scrolling it the other day in the car, you got your eyes off the road just for a second. Maybe he had to move in there to steer you away from killing the child or pulling out in front of a car. How do you know? 
Huh? Another thing we know. I tell you, there's, there's the angels. There's angels hovering over this house. Oh, I can't see them. Well, how is it we only want to deal with the things that we can see? Why can we not believe? Where's the faith? Why are we, why, 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 why are we, we very seldom ever preach on this, this angelic host? These messengers, these ministers, these minders that God has for the heirs of salvation. And you're not saved tonight, and mind you, many's the day that guarded you. Oh, I tell you, what Peter's saying here is if God judges them and casts them down into the pit and then into the lake of fire, will he not for our sins, your sins and my sins, and your pride and my pride and your rebellion and my rebellion and your wickedness and my wickedness cast you and me into the lake of fire. He says, God said, if I showed no mercy to my only son because of your sin, why should I spare you? Why should I spare you, sinner, or me? Let me say a couple of things before we go on. Doesn't matter how great or how high and how powerful and how influential intellectual we may be, if we sin and rebel and reject, there's retribution. Now, this is a perfect example. It doesn't matter. These, were, these angels were created by God. You know, they were, they, were, they, were, they were in a heavenly environment. They were sinless in a heavenly environment. And yet they fell. They came from the mighty heights to the lowest depth. And if, if these people, these mighty, mighty angels that were before the throne of God came from such a height to such a depth, how will we escape if we neglect so great salvation? God's not in the covering up business. God's not covering up because of who they were. Not a bit of them. Wherever the sin, he'll judge it. Wherever it comes from. He's not in the covering up business. Second thing. Don't think because you're in a Christian home or in an evangelical church and you're praying parents and you're praying pastors and you're praying ministers, don't you think for one minute that you're safe. Well, these people weren't. Well, think of that. The last time I heard about, as many years now, I heard about Duncan Campbell's son. And that Duncan Campbell was the man who led the mighty revival in outer Hebrides, a godly, broken man who saw a vision of hell and God used him mightily in the last time I heard of Duncan Campbell's son, he was just like the fellow in Armagh. He was on the streets at Glasgow begging. So don't you young man think for one moment and don't you take for granted. Because there's people praying for you here and your mother's praying for you and your father's praying for you and you're brought up in a home, in a godly home and you're going to Sunday school. Don't you take for granted that you're safe. Because of that. Well, if this teaches us anything, it teaches us that, and I haven't time to develop. These people were not living in the days of Noah. They were not living in the days of Lot. They were not living in the days of Peter, and they're not living in these days. And yet, 
they came down. One of the old Puritans said, hell is in the heart of all men. You could be standing before the throne of God in the morning and be at the gates of hell at night. David, remember David, I'll tell you, between evening and night he fell. The man after God's own heart, the godly David, he, he stayed in his bed until evening time and he got up in the evening time and before night. He was in sin. So don't take anything for granted. David fell like lightning. And Peter fell like lightning. And don't you think as you heard this morning that you can handle the powers of the devil or darkness or demons. You need to flee to Christ and to Calvary as quick as you can and get covered in the blood. But not only does he red flag and these fallen angels and did if they sinned and they could sin, you can sin and if they were cast down, you'll be cast down. How should he spare us? And on we could go, we could develop that into a larger sermon, but we haven't time. But then he comes to two more flags, red flags, the flood of Noah's day and the fire in Lot's day. He says, now watch these. These are red flags. These are examples for this day, for this hour in which we live. Jesus said, as it was in the days of Lot, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the day of the coming of the Son of Man. Now here we're red flagging this. And we're going to do it in a way probably you've never heard it done before. I don't know. All I can show you is what the Lord showed me. I want to combine the two of these men, Noah, Noah and Lot. Because Jesus says, as it was in these days, so we have to apply them to this day. No one lot. These are the days of no one lot. Can I say that never a generation lived in the last days to this generation? When all these prophecies are culminating at the same time, the famines, the pestilences, the earthquakes, the wars, the false preachers, the deception, the immorality, the infidelity, the viciousness, the vice, the violence, the slip and slide of apostasy, and the went more in the last 18 months than they have in 18 years. And if it keeps on going the way it's going, we'll not be here much longer. So we need to red flag these two men because Jesus told us to do them. Never did we live in a time like this. In 1914, all they had was 303 rifles. They wouldn't have burnt up the world with that. We're living in the nuclear atomic age and power where one man can fire a rocket and he can barbecue the whole world in two minutes. And we're going to see that when we come into Peter 3, 2 Peter 3. He says that the elements are going to be burnt up with fire. The whole thing's going to burn up. So don't be getting too attached to them. Never did we live in a day when we could say, my spirit shall not always strive with man like this day. Genesis 6. Because ever we have tried and tested and grieved and vexed and hindered the spirit of God. It's in this hour in which we live. Oh, he's so merciful and so gracious. And you think of the murder and the bar burning the children and taking them out of the wound and burning their body. I tell you, 
And here this government minister now has said, he say, he's put a ma- mandate on the gov- on government and he's told them, we want the incinerators up and going by March. That's what an order he's given. Well, he'll be in the incinerator himself if he doesn't repent. My spirit shall not always strive with man. Apply that to the last days and these days in which we live. What is it that God wants us to see in these two men in the ancient world and days in which they lived? Not only that they were living in wicked days, similar to these days, but the thing I want to bring out to you tonight is how they conducted and compounded themselves in the midst of ungodly days. That's the lesson God wants to get through to us. Remember this now. God knows I have wrought this out before God. Remember this. That they both were in the minority. There were only eight saved in Noah's day. Out of the whole world. In Lot's day there was only four and one went back, and it was only three. So if it's Jesus says in the days of Noah and in the days of Lot, so shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man, the remnant will be in a minority. Well, not Christians, not, not the Christians will not be in the minority. There's thousands of But these type of Christians will be in a minority. And you follow the both of them and I'm going to do a wee bit with them as a close. See, 50 years ago, in this land, the whole scene was different than it is now. If you had a mission or a rally or a conference or nights of prayer, other denominations would have joined with you. When we started up there at 8.30, we started up in the wee corner at 8.30 at night because we didn't want to interfere with other churches. We started up there at 8.30 because we had a lot of farmers and it suited them to come and that all paid off and God blessed and that's how the blessing started. At 30, at 10 o'clock when we're getting away at night. Some of you are long on your bed on Sunday nights at that time now. And they used to close. The, uh, Mr. Baxter in the free church and over in there he, he used to announced the meetings and he'd close his meeting down early on a Sunday night and he'd ask his people to come and he would come too. And you had the same with Elam and you had the same with some of the independent messages and we, we reciprocated when they had something we want. Not any longer. Oh, not any longer. Was that the vision we heard about this morning that's destroying all around us? And unless we get the act together, my friend, unless we start to repent and realize that we're not the only people that's doing anything. It's not just our denomination or our people. We need to get rid of all that stuff. The day is too serious for any more of that. Fifty years ago, if the abortion scene was like it is today, let me tell you, and I'm talking from men and from manna, I used to have nights of prayer, and I started the nights of prayer with from manna men. Independent Methodist, an old Methodist who believed in saved and lost, and I'll tell you this, it's not a bad doctrine to have sometimes. And those men got down before God and they cried to God, Nights and Saturday night in one man's house, they prayed just for their families. And I can tell you if we were in the day that we were in here with transgenderism and sodomites and abortion and all that and COVID conspiracy, I'll tell you those men would be, I'll tell you those men would be in prayer. Not out with placards, they'd be in prayer. 
It's not going to be won with placards. We've tied it all before, our flags. It's not going to be won. The battle's not going to be won. They can march in Belfast and good to see people standing against whatever the field is standing against. But it's not, going to, it's not going to win the battle. They tried it before and it didn't work. Look at where it left us. Followed men. This is a spiritual fight. We're not here for a physical fight. We're not here to shoot swan. See telescopic sights up on swan. We're not here. Where is this going to end? That's not the battle we're in. They'll rise for the physical fight, but not for the spiritual fight. And I asked that man the other day in the text, how many was at your prayer meeting? I haven't got a reply from him yet. It's time to wake up now. Not placards or parades or politicians are going to win this battle. It's a remnant. It's a few. How we conduct and compound ourselves in these days, that's what it is. That's what's going to win the battle. But not only was just a few, there were a few in minority, and, and Jude says, talking about this, there was only a few. Listen, whenever we stood here in November a year ago, there was only a few. Whenever we opened up, and we opened up because of conviction, we didn't open up to fight with the government, we didn't open up to fight with Stormont, we opened up because of conviction for the house of God and the word of God. There was only a few, but there's more than a few now. It doesn't say because you're in the minority that you're wrong. It actually says if you're in the minority, according to scriptures, you're right. For it's a broad road that leadeth to destruction. The old fourth fourth century godly scholar Athanasius, when he was when he was expounding the, the doctrines of Christ and the virgin birth, they called round him and they said, Athanasius, you can't preach that. The whole world is against you. Well, he says, you go and tell them if the whole world is against Athanasius, Athanasius is against the whole world. They said to Luther, if you go up Pope Leo, Pope Leo will kill you if you go up to Rome. He says, if every, if every tile in the Vatican was a demon, I'm still going up. They told Paul, don't you go up to Jerusalem, they'll kill you. None of those things move me, he said. <laughs> move some of us. <laughs> move some of us. Don't go up to Jerusalem. They said to Jesus, don't go up to Jerusalem. That fox, you know that word fox? Herod, that fox, he'll kill you. That's what they told Jesus. You know that word fox is vixen. The she-fox. Harry McGonagall, the... the Principal of the Nazarene College from Anaman, still living, a good friend of ours. Herbie her, her preaching in Kiladis one day, that word vixen. He says it was her where the problem was, not with him. <laughs> and you think over that. It wasn't hard. That'd be Herod's wife. <laughs> what did he answer? Did it stop him from going up? No. Was he not in the minority? Was he not a few? Was he not alone? He trod the wine press alone. Jesus, I, my cross have taken, all to leave and follow thee, follow thee, destitute, despised, forsaken, thou alone, my all, my all shall be. Now, Listen, we're coming near the close. We can say what we like about Lot. Any man in the, no man in the scripture has got a, a worse profile than Lot from, from his, the people of God. 
You can say what you like about Lot. He stood the mocking. He stood the abuse. He stood the ridicule. He tried to save his family. I know that he made mistakes. But he stood. He stood the same as Elijah stood. He stood the same as Gideon stood. And he said, the stood as Shammah stood. You never hear that. Well, I'm glad that Peter tells us what he tells us about Lot. He stood alone. And let me say before I go on to tell you about Peter as I close. Are you standing alone tonight in your home? In your school? In your college? And it's not easy. And you go out tomorrow morning, Monday morning, into the workplace. And easy. To bear witness for God in this dark and wicked and evil day in which we're in. And I say to you, don't wobble. Don't buckle. Take your stand. Press on. Press on into the battle. Now listen. He only gave one verse to the demons that were bound. He only gave one verse to Noah and the destruction of the whole world, Peter here. He gave four that involves Lot. Verse 7, he says he was a just man. That word justified. How are you justified? You're justified through grace, through faith, and through the blood. Now listen. You just write that under under Lot's name. The Bible, the Holy Spirit says he was just. Then in verse 8 it says he was righteous. Imputed righteousness. Not only imputed righteousness, but practical, practical righteousness. So the Holy Spirit saw in Lot a justified man and a righteous man and a godly man. Because it's referring to him as well as Noah. In the next verse, he knows how to deliver the godly. You ever hear that preached about Lot? I want to rescue Lot in the few minutes I have left. Not from the fire, because God can do that. He says God knows how to deliver him. But I want to rescue him from the fiction and fabrication that so much presented about him. And there's a lot of it. Okay, he was a young and married man with a family. There was a dispute with Abram and Abram's men and the cattle and all the rest. There was a dispute and one day he made a decision. And he lifted up his eyes and he saw the well-watered plains of Jordan. Nothing wrong with that. And because of things were going, the things were happening, he thought, I'll, I'll take my family and we'll go down, in, I'll go down into Sodom and down into Gomorrah. I'll go down into the cities of Sodom and I'll make a life for myself and I'll make a future for myself and I'll make a family for myself and I'll build a home for myself and there's nothing wrong with that. Nothing. Just take your time now. He lived well and he worked hard. He was industrious. He was progressive. He was ambition. He went into politics, whether you agree with that or not. I wouldn't recommend it, but there's nothing ungodly really about this man here. Nowhere you'll read that he was wicked. No way you'll read that he was ungodly and greedy and lustful. He made decisions. Maybe if he had to do them again, he'd make a different decision, and so would you, and so would I. Maybe if you had to make another decision, you'd have never bought and signed for that house of yours. Hmm? 
Maybe you'd have never left the job you were in and went to the other one. Maybe you'd have never took your family to where you took them to. And a thousand things you would have done and I done that we had to do it again, we wouldn't do it. Doesn't say we're ungodly. Think of this now. Why are we accusing this man so greatly? Lot's mentality probably was, I'm here and it's done and I'm in and this is the way he wouldn't have thought that things were going to turn out the way they turned out. He wouldn't have thought his wife's going to be lost. He wouldn't have thought the Sodomites would break into his house. He'd never thought there'd come a day when he'd try to sacrifice his girl to get, to get rescued and people and all the rest. He'd never thought that that, he didn't see that. We don't know what's down the line from you either. I'm glad that Peter put this in. Very glad. My mother used to say to me, she said, you make your bed by your lie in it. And he made his bed and he has to lie in it. If there's any accusation against Lot, Lot, it's a scripture one, and it's this, he entangled himself in the affairs of this world. Listen to what Paul says to Timothy, no man that worth. He got a bit greedy and he got the greed for the money and for the power and all that and you do the same. No man worth entangle himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him whom he has chosen to be a good soldier. He's not in the battle lot. And that doesn't say that he was lost. We had a kitten one time, you know, and it got a ball of string years ago, a ball of string. And how on earth it got into the mess that it got in, but it left itself tangled up that it couldn't breathe. That's what entangled means. And that started with a wee bit going round, a wee bit and then another bit and then played on and another bit and played on and another bit and played on and another bit until you'd hardly know there's a kitten inside it. That's what entangled means. Are you entangled in this world? Well, you know, the string can turn into a chain. And it's get harder and harder and harder to get out of it again. Greed, lust, world, pleasures. Very little time for God. And the string can go into a chain and the chain can go into a coffin. Don't put your tent pegs too far down. Well, they're going to have to come up. Be content with such things as you have, for he has said, I will never leave thee or forsake thee. Are you content? Paul says, whatsoever state I am therewith, I am content. Are you content with your house, with your money, with your job, with your family? Twenty years Lot was in Sodom. Now we have to sharpen them, be a bit sharp on them. When he seen all this coming, and he wasn't, wasn't a foolish man, when he saw all this coming and saw the way things were going, he should have fled. God gave him a warning early on. And Abram had to rescue. He should have fled. And some of you here tonight and listening to me somewhere tonight, you're tinkering with stuff 
that's going to tie you and destroy you. And now is the time to flee. You hear that? Now is the time to flee. You're on the edge. The red flag's up tonight for you, my boy. Adelou. You're about to cross the line. And to care would it not be the line where he says, My spirit shall not always strive with you. You need to get saved tonight, boy. Don't you think because you're in a godly home, don't you think that you're going to be safe and selected when I tell you? Your sin will damn you. Now's the night. Now's the night. Don't go any further. Don't don't go any further. You see, Lot was never a happy and contented believer. Never was. Verse 8 tells us, every day as he dwelt amongst them, because of the filthy conversation, and that conversation doesn't mean their talk, that's their lifetime. Seeing and hearing, he was vexed. And twice, verse 7 and verse 8, it uses the word vexed. In so short a space. Do you know what the word vexed means? He was burdened and plunged down with grief. He was submerged with grief. He was tormented in his mind from day to day. Not, not, not in a meeting now. Not when he was hyped up at some missionary convention. Not when he sang some rebel hymn. No, no. Day after day after day, he was vexed, grieved. Would to God that some of us were the same. Would to God that I was like that. Take your time now before you hit lot again. Wish to God I was grieved every day with what's going on in our land. Wish to God that I was burdened down like this man and tormented in mind at the things I'm seeing and the things I'm hearing. But I'm not. But Lot was. The transgenders and the sodomites and all the rest of them, I tell you. Days of knowing the days of Lot. Every day vexed. What? His righteous soul. Of course, you wouldn't be vexed if you weren't righteous. You wouldn't be grieved over, over the sin of people. You wouldn't be grieved over your mothers or your father or your sons or your daughters. You wouldn't be grieved in your heart when you see them doing what they're doing. You wouldn't be grieved unless you had some spirituality about you. Grieved? Are you grieved in the workplace? Are you grieved in the home? Are you grieved with the filth that's on television? Are you grieved with what the government is legislating? Well, he was. Verse 7. And God delivered just Lot vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked for that righteous man dwelling among them 
seeing and hearing, vexed and grieved and broke his heart from day to day with their unlawful deeds. And the Lord knoweth how to deliver him. God knoweth our limitations and he knoweth our habitations and he knoweth our duration. He knows when we can take no more. Hear that now. You're up against it in the family. With that boy, with that girl, that child. Well, he'll not test you more than you're able to bear. He knows how to deliver you. Would you be trying to tell him? He knows when to lift the burden. And he knows how to lift the burden. God, through Abraham's prayers, through the intercession of Abraham, and mind you, they couldn't get ten righteous in it. Was he not in the minority? God, through the prayers of Abraham, sent, came from heaven, the pre-incarnate Christ, and took him by the hand, and his wife by the hand. And said, flee. Now you'll not feel an angel taking you by the hand tonight and telling you to flee from that stuff you're at. Or to flee to Christ and to flee to the ark. Because God knows how to deliver no and he knows how to deliver you and he has provided a deliverer he has divided an ark. He has provided Calvary. You see, whenever he, he said to Lot, flee, take your family and flee, and his wife and his two daughters. And he fled. Where to Zor? And the sun was rising over Zor. There was a new day. The sun was rising. Listen, friend. There's Calvary tonight. Listen, the sun is rising over Calvary tonight and is calling you to a new day, to a new life. Look not behind you. And Mrs. Lot looked back and she's turned into a pillar of salt. And Jesus says, remember her. So there was only three got out. And even Lot, when he got to the Bergy, lingered. Don't you linger tonight. Step over tonight. Don't be looking back to past failures or anything else. Step out. Come on out for God tonight. Backslider, come back tonight. Christian, renew your vows tonight and start getting serious in the workplace for God. And say from this night on, ask the Lord, Lord, vex my soul with what's going on in our province. Let me leave you with these words from Paul. Whom he did predestinate, he also called. Whom he called, what? He justified. Whom he justified, he glorified. And he's going to take us out some of these days. <laughs> he's going to lift us out some of these days. He knows how to do it, when to do it. He knows how to deliver the godly. And that plan's in place. And it's about to happen. The Lord shall descend from heaven with a shout. Three times we read. Listen, three times we read of the Lord shouting. Oh, the gentle Jesus, meek and mild. Oh, you're so lovely. Indeed he was. Bruised reed he shall not break, and a smoking flax he shall not quench. He is a loving, tender Jesus, meek and mild. Took the children in his arms, but he did shout. He did shout. And every time he shouted, it was with the victory over death. The grave of Lazarus, remember? And Jesus wept. Jesus wasn't weeping, you know, because Lazarus had died. 
don't know if she knew he was going to raise him in a minute. Mary and Martha was weeping because he had died. But our Lord Jesus, as he stood at the grave of Lazarus and looked there and smelt the stench and the sin, he knew what caused it and what caused it was sin. For sin, when it's finished, bringeth forth death. And he knew the price that was going to have to be paid. And if he wept for anything, he wept over sin. Wept over sin. And then as he hung on the cross of and he cried out that mighty cry, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why did he? He cried with a loud voice, Why hast thou forsaken me? Why did he forsake him? Because of sin. And the third time he has to shout yet, but he's going to shout. The Lord shall descend from heaven with a shout. <laughs> I'm going to hear it. Glory to God, I might hear it tonight. And the quicker the better. He'll descend from heaven, the Bible says, with a shout. With the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ. Oh, the dead in Christ. Stuart, and all the saints we buried out of this place, the dead in Christ, shall rise first. I'll tell you, the night of much more longer to lie, that old mother, those of us which are alive and remain shall be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air. So shall we ever be with the Lord. He'll deliver us from death and darkness and demons and hell. And everything the devil could throw at us. And he'll bind him and cast him with these angels into the lake of fire. He's able to deliver. Let me give you an illustration to encourage you to pray. As a close. I listened to David Gibbs. He's a Christian lawyer in America. Defends all the disputes in Christian churches. He says he has more solicitors working for him and more officers going than ever before. He can't keep going. He must be doing nothing but fight over in America, the same as here. Lawyers and lawyers for disputes amongst the Christians and land and ground and he doesn't take a salary. He just does it for the Lord and people. He defends them all over America. He put them up on the YouTube. David Gibbs. Well, I was listening to him the other night and he was talking about a meeting that he was conducting. New mothers and new fathers now, new prayer meeting people. Glory to God. This is the few. There's only few coming into the prayer meetings compared to what there should be. But there's, there's always only the few. Don't worry yourself. And he was preaching at this meeting and he made an appeal. And he says, this fella came down the aisle and he said, I never, there wasn't one part of his skin but there wasn't tattoos and there was rings everywhere and his face was bludgeoned. He was full of where he had injured himself with knives and all sorts of things. He'd cut himself. Oh, he says he was a terrible, terrible looking mess. His face was. And he come right up. And as he was coming up to the altar, the people in the church began to clap. And some of them waved hankies. He says he come up and he kneeled down and he cried to the Lord to say, but behind the scenes, there was an old mother. She attended that church. For years and years she prayed for that boy. She never left the sanctuary on a Sunday morning or Sunday night. She came right up to the altar and she kneeled down and prayed for him after everybody was gone. And the pastor said to her one day, you know, the Lord will save him. He'll save your son. No, no, she says, I'm, 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 I, I'm, 
know that God's going to save them. And I pray, I pray for them. That wee woman was sitting in the church that night. You know, that fellow was so evil that when they tried to go to his house to witness to him, there was a, the pastor's car and two or three of the elders' cars were all covered with gunshot pellets where he fired guns at them when they went to the house. That was the Gibbs said. He said there's cars in the car park there that peppered with gunfire. God broke through the prayers of a mother. And you keep praying, won't you? For he is able to deliver.